0: Good Wednesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in our building, the Macklin building in downtown Charlottesville. Our audience, though, anywhere where social media is popular, so that means pretty much anywhere in the world, we talk topics that are Charlottesville and Central Virginia related and we do it through a lens of what's best for this community. How do we make the community better? The tagline for I Love Seville is the best of Charlottesville, Virginia. So that's kind of the viewpoint we take when putting the content together for for the shows we do each day. Today's show is unique in that... Well, I don't even say unique and you know what? I don't even think that's the right phrase. Today's show is features a lot of content that has been crowdsourced by MVP viewers and listeners. And frankly speaking, um, there's four topics on the rundown that were literally crowdsourced by some of the favorite people that watch and listen to this show. Vanessa Parkhill sent me the topic that I'm going to relay to you on Henrico County. Vanessa Parkhill is the Queen of Earlysville and Henrico County for the second straight year is offering a real estate tax credit to homeowners. We will offer some perspective on that in a matter of moments. Deep Throat put together. He is an anonymous, um, you know, viewer and listener of this show. Sends me DMs on Twitter that I very much am look forward to every day. I sincerely mean that, Deep Throat. I look forward to your direct messages. Um, he sent some data, which we will feature on screen, um, neighborhoods in Charlottesville and the proximity of these neighborhoods to grocery stores from a walking standpoint. So we will highlight which neighborhoods in Charlottesville have um, far distances to walk to grocery stores and close ones. It's a follow-up on yesterday's show that I thought was dynamite on food deserts, and grocery stores, and walkability, or the lack thereof, for Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Charlottesville legitimately bills itself, Charlottesville promotes itself on its trolleys as a world-class city. It's literally part of the branding on the wrap on the trolleys. Can we really be a world-class city if walking around the Charlottesville area, bicycle riding around the Charlottesville area, is nightmarish or dangerous or difficult? I would imagine an aspect of being a world-class city is efficient and easy and approachable walking and biking because not everyone has a car. We'll talk that on the show today with a lens of neighborhoods and how close, close they are to grocery stores. I also am going to relay just a fantastic direct message to you from Travis Hackworth, the king of Danville, Virginia, watches our program routinely from Dan Vegas, and he sent us a, um, a number of um, direct messages yesterday that are on the grocery store co-op model something that Judah Woodcower brought up yesterday that I thought was very good. We'll talk about that. We will also chatter John Blair's comments on the Roanoke Incubator that's (laughs) being planned for 2024 and how the Roanoke Incubator is going to be different than the Paul Manning Institute here in Charlottesville, a biotech incubator that's coming to Seaville and Fontaine Research Park thanks to a $100 million donation from the Manning family. That topic on today's show, I need to get some news um, out of the notebook first, so look at the screen for the headlines. In fact, one of our viewers and listeners offered some feedback yesterday, Judah, on the headers we show on screen, and, and I don't know if we, we can talk about this off air, um, but it was through an Instagram direct message that when we are finished with the topic, he'd like to see that topic somehow grayed out on the header um, on screen. So we can brainstorm off air. We don't have to talk about it on air. It just came to me on the show. We, we love your feedback on the program. We integrate it into the show routinely. You guys make the show better. So if you have ways we can improve it, let us know, and oftentimes we'll work it into the mix. First, some items out of the notebook first. Um, I've been texting with Daniel Kaufman. He owns Public Fish and Oyster. He also owns The Bottle Shop, which is a business that sells, you know, Wine and, and beer um, by the bottle. Both public and the bottle shop are located on West Main Street. Daniel Kaufman is opening a third business on West Main Street, and that's Black Cow Chop House. The grand opening is today for Black Cow Chop House, a traditional steakhouse. Um, he has texted me, Daniel Kaufman, the following. He said, um, "Black Cow opens tonight, Jerry." There are very few tables left, but we do have a full menu, um, and folks can sit at the bar and lounge if they'd like. So the grand opening of Black Cow Chop House is today on West Main Street. This will be the third business Daniel Kaufman owns on West Main Street. He has become the mayor of West Main, Daniel Kaufman. I'm on the Black Cow Chop House website now. The URL is blackcowchophouse.com. I'm looking at the menu as we speak. It looks absolutely delicious. You got starters like jumbo shrimp cocktail, buttermilk, buttermilk fried oysters, steak tartare, a lobster bisque. The appetizers and the soups and salads salads range from eleven dollars to to twenty one dollars in price. Steaks or chops, steaks and chops. For today, range in price from $25 for a bone-in pork chop, that's 12 ounces, to $69 for a uh, Chateaubriand. Chateaubriand, am I saying that right? A 14-ounce cut of meat that serves two is 69 bucks. He also has one of my personal favorites a rib-end tomahawk, 24-ounce cut of meat from Seven Hills for 59 bucks. So you're looking at meat ranging from $25 to $69 on the menu, pretty extensive um, cocktail menu and, and beer by the glass and beer from, from a, a draft standpoint, wine. I mean, the, 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 the restaurant looks delicious. Um, like many steak-centric restaurants, that do it from a a classy standpoint this is not a restaurant where if you're counting your pennies you're going to be going to okay you're going to spend if you're getting a drink and an appetizer and an entree you're probably looking at somewhere close to 100 dollars ahead certainly after tip and gratuity and taxes 100 dollars ahead 200 225 dollars a couple okay it's so if you want an alcoholic beverage, an appetizer, and an entree. But you know what? If it's done extremely well and everything Kaufman does is well, I think these prices are fair and in line of, um, of value that, that they're offering. Okay? Black Cow Chop House, grand opening today. Limited seats because folks are very interested in what Kaufman's cooking, but there are seats in a full menu served at the bar and lounge. Two other items I want to get out of the notebook, which we did not get to today, the brews on high, the coffee shop, the, um, I mean, goodness, it was open for a New York minute, this coffee shop on High Street, um, officially closed. The Spice Diva and the Purple Building also officially closed. I want to get a two-shot set up. Let me know when you have that ready to go, and we can weave you in the mix, Judah, Um, What should replace Bruise on High and what should replace the Spice Diva? Um, The Spice Diva has got a fantastic location in the Purple Building on West Main Street. Bruise on High, the location not nearly as good as West Main and the Purple Building. So we'll go to the two shot. We'll welcome a man that is quickly becoming one of the most popular people in Central Virginia, Judah B. Wickhauer, known up and down the eastern seaboard as J. Dubs, more than just a director, his perspective and commentary appreciated and welcomed. Yesterday, I thought he hit a grand slam. Bruise on High is a, is a tricky spot. Um, the positives for Bruise on High is they're right next to that Centera Medical Office, the, that guess. walk-in. Does that get that much? I mean, I would imagine there's a Traffic. fair amount of folks working there. So maybe they want to get a fresh air, they walk get a coffee next door, yeah. I think one of the damning aspects of Brews on High, there was a couple of damning aspects for Brews on High. Obviously, the owner was way overextended financially. That was headwind number one, right? Yeah. Physical, uh, financial malpractice when it came to a lot of these restaurants in the Champion Hospitality Group. Um, second headwind Brews on High had was the construction on High Street. Yeah. The construction on High Street coincided with the opening of this business, and construction just scared people away from navigating some kind of drive-through coffee shop business. I mean, I didn't even know if you could go over there. You
1: Would you have had to go around? You would have had to go
0: around. Yeah. yeah you would have had to go around. That's exactly right.
1: Because, yeah, uh, they were, there was no turning right onto that road from, if you're coming from the downtown, if you're coming this way, uh, like, I used to drive by there and, and wonder where this place was I was like, how, how are they even
0: how are they even doing business? How are they even doing business? Yeah, we were wondering the same, and obviously they weren't doing business. I mean, at one time, Bruce on high was for sale for a yeah. dollar. he was just trying to offload the lease to get his name off the lease and the monthly payments tied to it right. I mean that's how grave the situation was yeah. okay Bruise on high is a former bank building, and the bank has limitations on what can go in this location. Hmm. For example, a friend of the program, David, did you pronounce his last name? That owns Skuma? Oh, uh, Trecorici. There we go. David Trecorici, friend of the program, great guy. He looked at Brews on High for Skuma Boutique Dispensary, his dispensary business model. That specializes in you know Delta Eight, C B D, and is waiting till yeah. once weed gets retail legalized, mm-hmm. it'll become a weed dispensary. I think he's gonna crush it with that business model. Oh yeah. He looked SCUMA at that location, but the landlord prevented a dispensary from going there. Wow. So the landlord has some autonomy and influence huh. of what will replace Bruce on Hot. So before you say we go, the bank is the landlord? Yeah. Bank's the landlord. That's- okay. Thanks, landlord. Cool. And I believe there's an ATM there. Oh, and, still there? Yeah, and because their ATM's still there, they limit or have influence on who's going to replace That's who's going to be the tenant. more understandable. Yeah, it's more. On, I, I get it. I mean, as Neil Williamson says, property owners have rights. Yeah. Yeah. You're a landlord. You can say who goes into the business. I got yeah. no problem with it. Yeah. Uh, I, mean,
1: I, I if, if uh if they were just, you know, if the if the drive-through of the of the bank was gone, I would be a little more, you know, curious why they would say no. But considering they've got, uh, they've got it still going on there, I, I can kind of understand why they would be selective.
0: Um, so why don't we ask what should go there? And, and before I ask what should go on Brews on High, is that even a good location? Here's my concern. I live in, as you know, Keswick. I drive um, down from Keswick down Pantops Mountain, and I take a left on High Street to come to work. Right? Take a left on the High Street to come to work. High Street's a cluster. It is an absolute cluster. Um, It has become a cut through or a thoroughfare for anyone on Pantops or in Eastern Amar County that needs to get to downtown Charlottesville, the University of Virginia, or the heart of town. And as a result of that, traffic is a nightmare. The safety of the street is next to nothing. I've said once, and I'll say it again, I think the most underutilized corridor in Charlottesville is High Street, even more underperforming than Cherry Avenue. I've heard from parents countless times of how difficult it is to walk with their kids, Hmm. Because the sidewalk starts on one side of the road, stops, and then goes to the other side of the road. There's a significant apartment complex coming um, by the Rivana River next to uh, the Rivana Rafting Company, right? Yeah. A significant one that's coming there. Once that construction project starts, it's going to be even more nightmarish to navigate High Street. Yeah. Question for you. Should you even consider the location for a business, and then the second part is what should go in that spot
1: that 's a tough one I mean that spot is so <clears throat> when you mentioned uh, coming uh, when you mentioned where you drive from, I thought you were going to bring up the fact that by the time uh, by the time you get to uh by the time you would be passing brews on high, you've already gotten your coffee wherever you know. Hundred you, percent. You've either stopped at the top of pantops or. Well, I mean, I, you know you, me, or you bring it from home. I bring it from home. My point being that you're
0: passing a time.
1: My point being that a coffee a coffee place either has to be close to where you're, you know, hopefully close to where you're leaving, because you don't want to. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to drive to work and then pick up my coffee. I'd want to have it on the on the drive with me, and. Um, And so you either want it to be close to where you're leaving or you want it to be very close to where you're ending up. And I feel like Bruisen High is a little bit off the uh, – even though it's like five feet off the beaten path, it's still off the beaten path. Um, and it's just an odd location. It's I... perfect for, for a bank drive-through because if you've got to stop at the bank, I mean, you, you go where you've got to go.
0: But, uh,
1: but for coffee, there's, you know, if you're, if you're going to end up on the downtown mall, there's places on the downtown mall to get coffee.
0: I think that's a great take. I don't think a coffee shop is the best use of that spot. No. And you have a fantastic reason why that's the case. Furthermore, you talk about most competitive spaces of business in central Virginia— I've always said the two most competitive fields of business in this area are real estate agent, we have 1,200-plus realtors, saturated, and restaurants. If there was a subcategory of restaurants, it would be coffee shops. There's coffee shops everywhere. There's a reason that's the case. It's because it's an extremely addictive legal drug, right? And the margin is obscenely ridiculous on coffee, just like the margin on eggs and pasta— It's obscenely ridiculous, although the margin on eggs is shrinking because the cost of eggs has gone up dramatically. Coffee margins are fantastic. To your point, I don't think a coffee shop is best suited for the brews on high location. No. What do you think should go there? Man. Would you even consider opening a business there? Like, put it in perspective to the Spice Diva. The Spice Diva's got better parking, more cars drive by, it's got retail neighbors like Feast, yeah, Baking Company. Where additional foot traffic is going to be coming from them, yep. and they may creep over to the Spice Diva. Heck, Orzo is there. I mean, mm-hmm. the market's the the is it the the Main Street Market, the purple building on West yep. Main. It's called the Main Street Market. Is Tony is prestigious because of Feast? You have very wealthy folks patronizing the Main Street Market. And those wealthy folks have no problem spending additional dollars on, say, a la carte spice purchases. That's why the Spice Diva was in business for 11 years. Right. Not only just in business for 11 years, but she went from the tiniest footprint in the Main Street market to choosing a larger footprint, which means she took on additional overhead. Yeah. Main Street market, huge potential. Take over the lease for the Spice Diva. Right. Huge potential. You got Orzo, you got Feast, Amaro Baking Company, all driving foot traffic to wherever goes there. Even got a REMAX location there now. In the old Spice Diva spot, there's a REMAX satellite office that GR uh, Falls and and Pat Burns run. Okay? So I see huge potential there. The Spice Diva spot, retail could go there. Maybe another food-focused business could go there. Maybe a service-oriented business can go there. She's already got it built out for some kind of omni-experiential business model to happen. Bruise on high? How would you even characterize that? Certainly not class A. I don't think it's class B. I'm not trying to throw shade on this location, but high street's a clustered duck. Quack, quack, quack. Maybe you call it class C. Viewers and listeners, what would you put in that spot? I mean, is it best situated for a service business? Like, a, you know, attorneys or a consulting group, architectural firm, something like that, converted into office space?
1: Yeah, possibly. I think it, it just feels like the kind of place that, uh, you're right, you would look up and find the address and go there for something specific. I just... I don't, and I don't know why. It just doesn't seem like the kind of place that you would turn off to stop at, even if it is to go through the drive through But I, c- I also again, think thats I'm not, I'm not a coffee person, so.
0: But I also think that's part, and we'll get to comments here. I also think that's part of the vibe on High Street. High yeah. Street is, High Street could be special. High Street is a connector road between Pantops and downtown. It's close enough for you to walk downtown. It could be special. But until the approachability, the walkability, and the bikeability on High Street is improved, and until the Cosner family, Kim Cosner calling the shots now for her family. This is the Cosner family that owns Cosner Brothers. They own that ginormous empty lot across from Cosner Brothers where they rent space to food trucks daily. I'm told it's $25 a day if you want to pull your food truck up there and, 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 and try to make a go of it. Until the following happens on High Street... The Cosner family chooses to develop their holdings, sell their holdings, one of those two options, until High Street gets better walkability, approachability, and bikeability, and until the businesses on High Street go from being, how would you characterize the businesses on High Street? A lot of them are like manufacturing businesses. They're like, you got what? Charlottesville, Glass and Mayor. There's Fitch. Fitch, Charlottesville, Glass and Mirror. There's you, a place that used to be a uh, used, used to be a, a
1: laundromat, but I think now
0: it's a, some kind of a church or something. You got, yep, that's there. There's a church. Um, there. You got a sanitary business there. I think Charlottesville Sanitary is there. Yeah,
1: I think I might have got uh, squeegee blades there before. Right. Uh, there's some random, There's like a hair place with a with a burger on their sign. Yeah, I mean, you do
0: have Riverside. We love Riverside. Yeah. You do have Fabio's. We love Fabio's. Oh, yeah. We love we Lamy Chocana. We love Jack and Jill's. Those are all located there. Tubbies. There's t- we love Tubbies. Yeah. There's two used car dealerships there, Harding Auto, and then the one across the street from Harding Auto that yeah. might be the entry point for the used car market in Charlottesville, the one that's across the street from Harding uh, um, Auto and Tire Sale. I mean, it's just not a... I'm choosing my words. Carefully. I think
1: an issue that we run into a lot in Charlottesville is that there's no walkability. Like, you see, oftentimes you you know uh, you've got you've got shopping areas, you know, like all up and down twenty nine. You've got uh, uh, you know we were just talking about Red Crab. There's a McDonald's in there. There's a shoe place. There's a Staples. There's a used bookstore. There's I think there's a there's a martial arts uh dojo in there. There are different places that you can go in there. But the bottom of East High is just like <coughs> one random business and then some empty space and then another random business like across the street. And it's almost like the business is zigzag up the road. And it's just...
0: Uh, it, Here's a perfect example. It's not
1: planned out. From any... Matt
0: Daring. Matt Daring got a moniker yesterday. The king of mountain biking, Matt Daring. He's also okay. a data guy. He says, I would classify High Street between CFA and Freebridge as absolutely schizophrenic. Yeah. That's perfect.
1: Yeah. It zigzags back and forth it's with no particular uh,
0: notion of what it wants to be. Um anonymous says in regards to high street check out the map that is ground zero for undervalued commercially used land perfect comment right there ground zero for undervalued commercially used land
1: yeah I mean getting towards uh, getting towards uh, once you start heading up this way uh, you even have like houses that are doubling as businesses like I think there's a I think there's a hair place. There is next to Riverside. Of, yeah,
0: right next to Riverside. There is. There, there absolutely there's, is.
1: There's no, but there's another one, like right where uh, right where High Street splits into uh, splits to, to Mead. There's like a house with a stairway going up uh, to the front yard, and there's like a
0: sign out front saying like, "So and so's, you know, hair." Right, right, right. Um, Kevin Yancey watching in Waynesboro. Um, Fisher Auto is on High Street. That's another one. Yeah. And he said there was a wood stove fireplace store across from Fisher Auto. Um, the mayor of McIntyre, Bill Mcchesney, um, is highlighting that there is Charlottesville Sanitary, which we called plus the vacuum cleaner place. I mean, it's just like this. Like like Matt said, the king of mountain biking. It's schizophrenic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it and it's just uh, it's just weird.
0: The two, Charlottesville is so limited because it's landlocked and it's only 10.2 square miles. But of, of Charlottesville, Virginia, High Street and Cherry Avenue are the two most underperforming areas of Charlottesville City right now. You drive down Cherry Avenue, you see empty lots everywhere. You see homes that can be knocked down and built back up with increased potential density. The shopping center. What is that, the Cherry Avenue Shopping Center? That leaves a lot to be desired. I mean,
1: it basically looks... The last, I haven't seen it in a long time, but the last time I did, it basically just looked like a, looked
0: like a gas station with uh, a couple more, you know, like... You got a payday lending business out of there. Payday yeah. lending businesses are piranhas. Yeah. Legitimately piranhas. I mean, those are the two most underperforming areas of this city. Yeah. And it's not even close. Can anyone think of an area, a street, one street, one road, one avenue, that is more underperforming than High Street or Cherry Avenue in the city of Charlottesville? Put it in the feed if you can think of one. Put it in the feed if you can think of one, I'll relay it live on air. Yeah, Here we go.
1: Eris Electrolux. Right next to it is a house that's being used as Eclipse Beauty Salon. Uh, Then there's the Liliana's Beauty Salon next to
0: Riverside that you're talking about. You're putting a map on screen, or are you looking at the map street view? I'm looking at the map. Okay, okay. Anonymous says, um, seems like commercial to residential would be a great project for High Street. Taking some of those commercial afterthoughts and converting to residential. He also says, Harris Street is an underperforming area as well. Harris, Air, Harris Street. Harris yeah. Street. That's where Interstate oh, yeah, Passage yeah. Service no, Companies used to be located. Yeah. Bailey Printing mm-hmm.
1: on Harris Street. There was a jujitsu place. There's the uh, uh, there's, uh, Ace Biscuit and Barbecue
0: is right off there now. Uh, Matt Daring, the king of mountain biking. Five years ago, I lived off High Street right by Fabio's. Living by a Costner property was not a fun time. We and several friends moved out because of their behavior, not trying to denigrate anyone, but it was very, very rough. Very, very rough. Um, the reality is this, is the you know, the Costner family owns much of High Street. Much of High Street. And it's been the family for a long time. Now Kim is calling the shots. She's a realtor. I would love to see potential new development and innovation on this road or perhaps the selling of some of these holdings would love to see it and while i love the food truck area that's across from costner brothers i love tacos gomez some cool. of the best tacos are tacos gomez scott Aaronworth, the king of virginia beach i'm not sure if he's watching today brought us tacos gomez on monday and it was dynamite i play racket sports with the owners of tacos gomez Kevin and Miguel Gomez, you guys are rock stars. I love you guys. And they're great people. And they're great people. You know yeah.
1: them? Oh yeah. I mean, the guy when I when I go there, I take Liza and just let her wander around the parking lot, and he'll uh, he'll ask if he can give her, you know, like uh, stuff from the grill. So she'll come up, and he'll he'll uh, grab some, you know, he'll grab some meat
0: from. Love it. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I love Tacos Gomez, and I love the food trucks. Mm-hmm. But I will caveat it by saying this. Does anyone think the best use of, a, of that land, the blacktop, the asphalt parking lot, where the food trucks are parked, is the best use of that piece of land hold to eight food trucks every day? Right. Probably not. And then there's a big swath of just uh, gravel. Right. Exactly. Big swath of ground Is the best use of that how it's being used now? Probably not. Definitely. Considering we le- we're landlocked and we don't have anything anywhere else to build anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about the most underutilized properties, and you know what? I should have added that to the list. Most underutilized properties in Charlottesville? What was it? I love Seaville um, West Main Street parking lot. Let me see if I can find that list. I should have added that to the list. Um, the problem with that is it. It kind of wraps the corner,
1: and there are some houses. There's a house right up the, on that hill directly behind, uh, behind the food trucks.
0: That parking lot across from Cosner Brothers maybe should be on the list of most underutilized land in Charlottesville. We included the Staples parking lot, Old Vinegar Hill location, We included the West Main Street parking lot. Alan Kajin owns that. I never see that full. It's freak enormous. Okay? We included the Charlottesville City Yard. Why the hell does Charlottesville and a landlocked city take significant acreage in a prime location and use it for pickup trucks and heavy equipment? Makes no sense. Lease some space and some land for Malmoral County that they have plenty of. Do a joint venture and take the city yard and make it something special. Yeah. We talked about the Kim's Market IGA Grocery on Cherry Avenue as being underperforming. We talked about Ix Park being underperforming. I don't think the future of Ix Park is what we know it today. I know that hurts a lot of people because they like the quirkiness and weirdness of Ix Park, but yeah. that's not the future of it. I think you put that Cosner Brothers parking lot on High Street on that list. Do you not? Yeah. I mean, it's... I, I, we have no land Let's make best use of the land that we have. Definitely. Um, All right, so a couple items I wanted to get out of the notebook before we get to uh, some of the... Oh, one more item. This one's from Vanessa Parkhill. Vanessa, thank you for sending this to me. I'm going to actually go to your direct message, Vanessa, and open up what you sent. Then we're going to get into Travis's comments on the co-op business model, deep throats, walking um, scores for neighborhoods and how close they are to grocery stores via walking. We'll put that on screen. I'm and surprised. It, and then John Blair's comments on the Roanoke Biotech Institute. And we'll close with something that Judo wants to talk about. People versus profits is money all that matters in 2023. First, the Henrico news. This is literally, I'm going to read verbatim from the Henrico County, Virginia, government Facebook page. For the second straight year, Henrico County is proposing to give homeowners a credit on their real estate taxes to help offset rising values. Property owners would receive an amount equal to two cents per $100 of their real estate's taxable value for 2023. This credit will put extra dollars in our residents' pockets for everyday expenses like gasoline or groceries, County Manager John Vit Holkus said. It's another example of our commitment to fiscal prudence, and it sends a powerful message on this Valentine's Day. Henrico is a county with heart. I love it. And why I re- relay this to you is there are municipalities in Virginia... That care. That care. There are municipalities in Virginia that are putting citizens and their bank accounts and the little money folks have these days and prioritizing them. Yeah. It's not just government and spend, spend, spend some more like we're seeing in Almaro County in the city of Charlottesville. I would even make this argument. Charlottesville city councilor said in a recent meeting... That they were opposed against raising the real estate tax rate because they know the real estate assessments have gone up double digits for two straight years, Judah. Right. So Snook and Pinkston and Wade, they said we're not gonna we're we're not inclined to raise the real estate tax rate. I would almost be in, I'm inclined to say that's not even enough. Yeah. Lower the tax rate. You're getting a surplus of revenue on the assessments. Over $10 million plus on the assessments you're going to get. Because of that surplus of revenue, why not consider lowering the tax rate, the real estate tax rate? Keeping it the same is not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Okay? And, and and some of these folks are in an election year. The mayor being one of them, friend of the program, love Lloyd. I love Lloyd. I love Lloyd. I respect you, Lloyd. I, I, I enjoy everything about running into you around this building sir i have tremendous respect for you you know i do but keeping it the same is not enough it's not enough we're still getting hammered and hit you agree with that
1: yeah definitely though in though in regards to uh to this being a, an election year i don't know that we're really spoiled for choices i mean we we had uh we've have had some great choices uh not from, yet we're not well for instance uh for instance um our good friend uh, Bellamy Brown, I feel, was a great choice, but, uh, you know, wrong place.
0: Oh, yeah. Well and said. That's well said. Well, imagine if Bellamy Brown. Okay, so he made, is Bellamy watching? Someone tag Bellamy Brown. In fact, let me see if he's watching. I can probably see right now if Bellamy's watching. I'll say this. Are you ready for this, Judah? Someone tell Bellamy Brown to watch here. Bellamy Brown is running for delegate. selling Hudson's seat. Mm-hmm. He's running as a Democrat. Probably should have run as a Democrat in 2019. If Bellamy Brown had run as a Democrat in 2019, he'd be on council right now. Yeah, he'd be on council possibly that because been- he ran as an independent, he lost. I'll cut to the chase there. It's a Democrat-leaning city. We all know that. Yeah. Did Bellamy choose the wrong race to run? Because if Bellamy ran for council now, Charlottesville City Council, as a Democrat, with his pedigree. And his approachability, his likability, his commitment to innovate—Bellamy is a great dude. Yeah, he's honest. Mm. He's a great communicator. He is from the area. He wants to make the city better. He has got a finance background. He is a great guy. He's a great candidate. Yeah, but he is in—he is in an absolute dogfight right now in this delegate race with Katrina Colson, school board chairwoman. Dave Norris, former mayor. Dave Brown, former mayor. Deshaun Cooper, head of the Young Democrats in the Charlottesville City and actively involved in the Democratic Party. And the speculation in scuttlebutt has Ned Galloway jumping in this race as well. Did Bellamy pick the wrong race to run? Because if he ran for city council, here's his competition so far. Lloyd. There's three spots open. Lloyd's the only one that's announced so far that he's running for re-election. The speculation is Michael Payne's going to run for re-election because the $18,000 he's making each year as a counselor is his primary source of income plus the health care benefits. Still, that's only two. That's two, even if Payne does. That right. leaves a third spot open. Did he pick the wrong race? Could be. And if he, uh,
1: and if he, if he made it onto the council, he would have... Two years to uh, to spread his name and oh uh, before the next delegate run yeah yeah there you go grow his grow his base there you go um, I guess we'll see um, I mean I'd I'd vote for Bellamy, I'd vote, Bill vote says for
0: Bellamy did not get into the primary last time he did not get into the Democratic primary Bill because he ran as a independent. So he was not in the primary because he ran as an independent, not as a Democrat. Bellamy was in the, the general election and lost. Yeah. He, 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 could he change his mind? I think the odds of... I, I love Bellamy Brown. He's a, in a literal, competitive dogfight with delegate. In the council race, if he ran for Charlottesville City Council...
1: You're saying who would... He'd be a front-runner. You're saying even if three or four people did, uh, did jump on to... Uh, uh, Council to race. To run. He'd still be a front-runner. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, who could who could, uh, who could put up a, a big enough fight?
0: That's what I'm saying. You would imagine Lloyd and Michael with the value of being the incumbent, yeah, but you've got to say certainly. that... You've got to say BB, B-squared, Bellamy-Brown is the front-runner for spot three. Police Civilian Review Board already ran for council and actively involved in the community. Yeah. And a great dude.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. Um, so props to Henrico County for legitimately offering a tax credit to their citizens. I mean, I, it's special. It's absolutely special. Um, all right. Let's get to our, our next topic. So Deep Throat is watching. Let's get to his, um, his graph. Um, Ooh, Dylan Rule, Dylan's Rule on Twitter is sending me um, uh, a thread. High Street and Cherry Avenue are the most underperforming areas in Charlottesville. I'd also throw the western side of Fifth Street between Tonsler and Beacon on Fifth as well. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute joke. So I'm going to quote, tweet this. I read this live on air. Exclamation point. Tweet. Warrior AG, watching on Twitter, says, it's all about, the, all about Charlottesville. Get the information now from Jerry and Judah. And Warrior AG, Albert Graves, we love you, Warrior AG, says, they need the surplus money for studies on renaming schools and finding a city manager. A little zing at Charlottesville City from Warrior AG on the Twitter sphere. All right, you got that data on screen? Uh, not yet. Matt Daring, the king of mountain biking, you'll like this a lot. You will really like this a lot, Matt Daring, um, especially data with data. your uh, data background. It's on screen? Yeah. All right, everyone, it's on the screen now? Yeah. All right, look at the screen now. I'm the, flabbergasted. Okay, we, we can talk about it. We can break it down. You think these times are light, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, but I mean, it... I we, let, me, let me address. set the stage of what they're looking at. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you tell us why you're flabbergasted. Okay, the neighborhoods on the left are Charlottesville City neighborhoods. Yeah. This is data from Deep Throat. He's a data guy, a guy in finance who knows land use and zoning and Charlottesville City real estate as well as anyone I know. And I know it pretty damn well. This guy knows it as well as Realtors. Anonymous does. So neighborhoods on the left on screen and on the right is a column of numbers that are minutes. These minutes are time from walking from the neighborhood to a grocery store. So the first line is Barracks Road. If you live in the Barracks Road neighborhood, it takes you four minutes, and basically four and a half minutes to get to a grocery store be afoot. If you live in the Barracks Rugby neighborhood, 16 plus minutes. The Belmont Carlton neighborhood, nine and a half minutes. Fifeville, almost 18 minutes. Fry Springs, 22 and a half minutes. Of all the neighborhoods, the furthest from a grocery via foot is Greenbrier, which is nearly 29 minutes by foot, according to Deep Throat's data. Now, he does say this. He does say this. Um, Google, with Google Maps and walkability, he says, I find for him, he's talking himself, that Google runs about 25% long. But he says, I'm a New Yorker. So I walk very, very fast like the New Yorker I am. <laughs> okay. You think some of these
1: times are light. I mean, I, it's not like I could point to one and say that it should be longer. I just know that I looked up my own address, which is just on the border of, uh, of Seville and Albemarle County. You're right on the line. And I was, I was roughly, I was over an hour to
0: any of the uh, grocery stores. I find, I, find that, I find that hard to believe. You, do you, you know
1: how long it is to Aldi? I you, mean,
0: l- you live in Stonehenge. Can I say that? I just yeah. said that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I apologize.
1: No, I mean, what are they going to
0: do? Like, go Okay, to well, we don't need to talk about me? that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talk. Okay. You live in Stonehenge. Yeah. There's no way it's going to take an hour by foot to walk to a grocery store. I believe it would. Is the Food Lion on the base of Pantops the closest grocery to you?
1: I think it is. And that that one might have actually been under an hour, but it was
0: still like 48 minutes. According to Google Maps. Yeah. And he thinks thinks Google Maps run about 25% heavy. And it makes sense, because if Google Maps is going to do walking time, they're not going to do it for fast people. Right. They're going to do it, if you're the slowest walker ever, that's going to be the time. And then if you beat it, you're pleasantly surprised. That's... You're still... You'd still be looking at... Uh, you're what, like you're 30, looking at... at a minutes. 13 and a half minute savings there. So if you said that Google Maps had 48, really you're looking at... Uh, if it's 25% less, 35 minutes or so. Yeah, 36. I mean, that's still... He's saying Greenbrier... You're, how close is Stonehenge to Greenbrier neighborhood? Stonehenge to Greenbrier? You don't have to give me an exact amount. Um... Thirty is the longest is the longest walk from a neighborhood in Charlottesville City, the Greenbrier neighborhood, and over 28 minutes in length of walking. Right, um, and he says these are he's sending me a DM on this now. This offers more perspective. These are median by property within the neighborhood, so half the property shorter, half of them longer. Yeah, that makes sense. That also makes sense. Yeah. For example, if you're deep in the neighborhood, like where we're at in our neighborhood, it takes me four and a half, five minutes just to get out of the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. You know, where some people could be on the first right in my neighborhood, and it takes them 20 seconds to get out of the neighborhood.
1: Right. It's like getting to, uh, getting to where my parents live, and it's like, oh, hey, I'm here, but then I've got another two or three minutes to,
0: you know, like... Make it to snake, the back. Snake through the, the roads. Yeah, sneak through the roads. So that's a good point. Yeah. Now... This is a perfect segue until perfect segue into um, um, Travis Hackworth in Danville. Travis, who is watching now, his family. Travis, at one time, was your family in the grocery business. I believe you said yesterday at one time your family was in the grocery business. We talked about yesterday why we talked about a number of things grocery related. We talked about food deserts in Charlottesville City. In a food desert is a neighborhood that is so far away from a grocery store, walking wise, that residents in that neighborhood are left with processed food options often found at expensive convenience stores, otherwise known as bodegas. Yeah, or no options. Or no option eating your meals from a bodega or an expensive convenience store is gonna have a number of negative impacts. A, it's much more costly to buy food from bodegas or convenience stores. B, the food is extremely processed Very rich in sodium, and frankly, very bad for you. Why it's processed and rich in sodium is they have longer shelf lives in these bodegas because there's less foot traffic clearing the shelf space, churning the food, buying the store out of food, so they have to reorder. The food stays at these bodegas longer. So if you're eating, if your diet consists of bodega food, your diet's probably pretty crappy. Your diet's
1: pretty crappy. I mean, it's the same thing. If you're shopping the uh, the inside of any grocery store, it's always you'll always find the uh, the organics on the outside. Yeah, and the inside is the inside is processed foods. I mean, you've got boxed stuff, you've got uh, you know stuff in bottles, boxes, tubes, whatever. Um, walk around the outside of the grocery store, and you'll find the stuff that's that's uh, the healthiest for you.
0: Travis, Washington, Danville. Yes. His, great, his great-grandfather-uncle started a grocery store in 1942 and they grew it locally until the 1970s and he worked in the grocery store for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, Judah brought up a great point. I thought Judah was fantastic on yesterday's show. In fact, I think... And viewers and listeners, and I sincerely mean this, I genuinely mean this. Have you not noticed with Judah Wickower that his contributions and his depth of perspective and commentary have improved significantly and now are a very welcomed and, and valuable part of this program? I would say you are blossoming as a broadcaster. Thank you. Your, your confidence level is, 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 is skyrocketed and the commentary is welcomed and appreciated. So the thesis that you offered yesterday was why, and and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, why do we not have more locally owned grocery options owned by residents, smaller footprint, Mm -hmm. targeting neighborhoods, so we can solve the food desert issue, specifically a family living on the financial margin in Fifeville. Yeah. Look how far they have to go, to go to get to a grocery. It's probably the Market Street Market. It may be the Food Lion on Fifth Street, depending on where in Feifel they are, or it could be Reed's on Preston. That's yeah. a long-ass walk.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And then
0: you added the line from the article in Charlottesville tomorrow. Yeah.
1: You're not, you're not going you, – if you're walking that far, you're not, you're not getting
0: everything that you need. My wife listens to the show. She spent 13 years on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, worked for Blackstone, making six figures plus bank. She said, "I never carried, I never bought fluids or liquid." Yeah. And brought them to my apartment because that's
1: heavy. Too that's heavy the to carry. Heaviest thing that you can that you can buy.
0: She said it was too heavy to carry. Yeah. Too heavy to carry. And that's to the point of the Charlottesville Tomorrow article. The gentleman quoted in the Charlottesville Tomorrow article said he had gone without orange juice for I don't know how many years. The years, I mean, he said.
1: But think about it. Like, if you've got kids, are you really going to Are you really going to the store and getting a, a two liter I mean a, a two gallon uh, bottle of milk,
0: carton of milk? Are you you know Are you getting What are you getting for your kids to drink? Matt Daring, the king of mountain biking. Folks in the food equity space have pivoted from calling them food deserts to food apartheid. Food apartheid. <laughs> the reason is because de- deserts are naturally occurring things, but apartheid is by design. I like that. We should steal that. We will update our nomenclature, King of Mountain Biking, based on this comment. Is it, is it completely honest, though, to say that these
1: food ap- apartheid or desert areas are by design? It may, it may have more to do with... Uh, I mean, it may have something to do, in some cases, with whether or not uh, a business wants to set up shop in a particular place. Whether
0: Okay, so you're basically saying, and I'm trying to navigate this very carefully. As was I. You're basically saying, does the entrepreneur that may even consider opening the bodega or the smaller grocery, is that entrepreneur choosing not to open in certain neighborhoods because of socioeconomic demographics, yeah, that's I mean, basically what you're saying.
1: Let's take it out of Charlottesville. I wouldn't want to open a, you know, I wouldn't want to open a store in South Central. I had to walk, I had to walk through the South Central neighborhoods at three in the morning once when I was there in L.A. and it was uh, a bit
0: hair raising, uh, but sure it was. Here's what Travis says. I'll read it. I'll read it. So your whole approach was the co-op model yesterday.
1: I think, uh, you know, part of it is making these places, is turning these places into areas where a business would want to open. Um, and I think part of that is making it, is, is making it easier to do. Uh, part of that is, is about, you know, making sure that the neighborhood is, uh, is safe and and whatnot. But another part of it is just making it viable. Um... You know, we 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 talked yesterday about uh, how hard it would be to set up small groceries like the Market Street Market, and I feel like, and this leads into I think what you're what you're going to talk about now. So I'll let you uh, get into. You're talking about uh, uh, Travis's insights.
0: Yeah, I'm going to get to Travis here. First comments are coming in fast and furious. Anonymous takes exception to the grocery and the socioeconomic comments that we made. He said, Greenbrier is not poor. It's a wealthy neighborhood. The mayor lives in Greenbrier. I believe Brian Pinkston also lives in Greenbrier. He says, there's not much of a huge correlation between wealth and grocery distance, at least not in Charlottesville, any, anyway.
1: Right. That's why I The issue that.
0: is a combination of high walking distance and a lack of access to cars. Katie Pearl, the queen of Whitehall, adds to that. He's chiming in anonymous via Twitter DM Katie Pearl and the I Love Seville Group, the Queen of Whitehall, you cannot buy groceries for a week when you have children and expect to be able to carry the groceries home. Yeah. You will definitely need a vehicle yeah. if you're buying groceries for a family. That's what 100% right.
1: You can't be walking. I don't even think you could
0: take public transportation and buy groceries for a week. And and, and 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 take public transportation and do it.
1: Yeah, if you've got more than one or two kids, I mean you're probably if you did all your shopping for a week, you'd probably fill the shopping cart and there's no way you're I mean, you just lugging have, that on a bus. You'd still have to lug that to the bus stop.
0: Right, 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 exactly. And you still have to get and some of these shopping carts lock up when they're a certain distance away from the store. I just meant even... The wheels stop moving on some of these shopping carts. They're becoming smart shopping carts to prevent people from stealing them.
1: But I just meant, I just meant if, that hadn't even crossed my mind, but I just just meant that at some point you're going to have to carry those, you're going to have to carry that shopping cart full of groceries to a bus or wherever. And then wherever the bus gets off, uh, you know, Lord willing, that's close
0: enough to your home that you're not walking... Another half mile or mile. Sorry for interrupting. I apologize. Warrior AG says on Twitter, it looks like you could definitely build a grocery if you had the land in the Fry Springs, Jefferson Park Avenue area and be profitable, especially since they are both on the list you just showed. And he said, spring is definitely blooming for Judah. It is not an easy job talking to the millions. Kudos, Judah Wickhauer. Um, Now, for the sake of time, because we have a 145 meeting here and we and we need to get to Travis's comments. I also want to get to John Blair's comments, too. Here's what Travis said, the king of Danville. And this is on the co-op concept that came up yesterday. One of the ways to get a local market back into the system and neighborhoods is to create a co-op and expand that brand from food desert to food desert. Now, you would have to have somewhere between 15,000 square feet of space to scale a property to meet the minimum threshold for ordering from a large wholesaler. Most wholesalers require a minimum $60,000 per week order per store. The key is the experience, and when it comes to grocery stores, you need the small boutique restaurant or coffee shop included. The advantage that a co-op would have over Walmart or Kroger or Food Lion is the ability to adjust inventory to meet what the neighborhood wants versus a set offering like most big chain stores do, which sets a co-op apart from larger competition. <clears throat> he highlights a co-op in Hillsborough, North Carolina, that built a building and included office space above it. The city rents those offices for essential services offered by the city. Ideally, you could do the same in this area if you had a vacant lot or parcels large enough. Now, yeah. my response to him was, a, I, I said, this is damn good. Literally, I, that's how I responded to him. I then said, wow, $60,000 per week is a massive commitment. That's a massive commitment. $60,000 is the minimum order. Minimum order times 52 weeks is $3,120,000 a year. $3,120,000 just for the food commitment. And that's the bare minimum. Yeah. That's before the rent. That's before the electric, the labor, everything.
1: But are you having to fork that over at the beginning of the year? What's that? But are you you having to fork that? You're not having to fork that over at the beginning of the year, though. What do you mean? I mean I mean that's spread out throughout 60,000 a week.
0: Yeah, I know. What, do you, what I don't understand I don't follow here. Well, I yeah. got a scratch in my throat so carry the show if you could please.
1: Well, you're mentioning uh, <coughs> you're mentioning how many how many millions it is mm-hmm. and that, that's me. you don't have, it's not like you have to come up with that money at the beginning of the year to ensure <coughs> your uh, your your food is delivered all year. It would be 60,000
0: a week. And, but you need, you have to buy the food to get people in the door. Yeah, but you don't have to buy a year's worth of it. No, no, no. It's weekly. 60000 yeah. a week. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so I had some... Uh... The, the main issue with, with this, and I responded to this to him. He lives in Danville. He watches the show from Danville. <coughs> the main issue is in Charlottesville City, there, there, we, do not have, we do not have a warehouse that's 15,000 square feet.
1: But you could find one in uh, Albemarle County, I'm Potentially. sure. Potentially. And so here are some disparate ideas that I had about this concept. And, uh, and uh, one of my first thoughts, I ran, uh, my mind ran to Zach Buckner, uh, who used to run, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, he had, it was, it was, I think, a fairly similar idea. What the heck was Oh, that? Re- Relay Foods. Yeah,
0: Relay Foods. Yeah, he ran an office for me. And
1: so I wonder how uh, I wonder how his uh, his expertise <coughs> would uh, would mesh with something like this, putting something like this together, and then. Uh, That's a good idea. And then further, the uh, the warehouse space would be kind of like a uh, like an Amazon fulfillment center. Yeah,
0: like a ware. It would be a warehouse. And
1: as uh, Travis mentioned uh, in the DM, uh, was it uh, was basically saying that. Um, uh, what was it uh, basically talking about the uh the collective or the food hub uh, basically that oh that uh, part of the part of the, uh, the part of what works for the model is the ability to to shift with your uh, with your uh, come on now sh- with the people that that shop there And in this case, if you had like a fulfillment center that had all the food, then what he's talking about is easily done. X store doesn't need to have all the same stuff that Y store has or Z store has if they're selling to different people that want different things. And if somebody goes to X and wants something that they don't have there, they can make a quick call to the hub, to the uh, fulfillment center, and get whatever it is that they want delivered to their store probably within you know a half an hour. Yeah. You can either wait there while you continue to shop or you can just call ahead next time and be like, hey, I wanna make sure that you've got this here when I get there and...
0: I'm, keep going, I don't mean to interrupt, keep going. Uh, no, I mean that's... Uh I'm less, I'm less I'd, I'd like the idea less of a massive fulfillment mm-hmm. center and then you're basically proposing a massive fulfillment center, almost like a warehouse, like Amazon has, and then you're proposing neighborhood hubs, little neighborhood groceries that source their groceries from that fulfillment center. So that fulfillment center could be the source for the Keswick grocery store or the Fifeville grocery store or the Greenbrier grocery store or the Fry Springs Grocery Store. I mean, and as basically... produce or goods are running out at these various little satellite groceries, the warehouse or the fulfillment center restocks them within a matter of hour. I like that idea less, and here's why. Less than what? Just having one massive warehouse that people go to. Now, the one massive well, warehouse that people go does to solve doesn't problem? solve the neighborhood problem. That's, that's the thing here. If you want to let her, I mean, we've let already, her 145 in and then. Okay, we're good. We're good. Um, the massive fulfillment center um, does not solve the neighborhood problem. Right. That's, that's the issue I mean, with my concept. You're basically talking about a grocery store. You're, you are talking point. about a grocery store. So my concept is, is, is dumb, too. My con- not dumb, that's the wrong word. The problem with the smaller ones, like you're saying, is. Um, the overhead's going to be obscene because they're going to be paying rent for each of these smaller neighborhood ones, and they're going to have to staff each of these smaller neighborhood ones, and they're going to have electric water overhead for each of these smaller neighborhood ones. So you're basically creating... I'm not sure why that's such a big hurdle, though. Because the margins on the groceries are so sparse.
1: But part of, I think, part of... uh part of my thought process is pro, my thought process is that through the uh, the collective of uh, whether it's whether it's multiple owners uh, having something similar to like a uh, uh, the um, the bargaining power of a, of a union or whether it's one larger uh, one larger owner who is uh, you know who's spreading out all these little stores uh through the through the um use of the of the hub and not just the hub but in terms of the the actual spaces if you're using your ability to basically
0: uh basically bargain for lower prices you're talking purchasing power You have purchasing power. You have economies of scale. That's what this is called. Yeah. That's what you're saying. So if they're all working together, or at least helping each other, then... Yeah, you could potentially pass the savings on to consumers, because you're buying in bulk for Keswick Grocery, the Fry Springs Grocery, the Greenbrier Grocery, the Fifeville Grocery. They're all buying under this one umbrella... And yeah. because this one umbrella is buying in bulk for all these satellite groceries, you have economies of scale and purchasing power, and you can get margin uh, fatter margins. You can create potential fatter margins. That's what you're saying. And in terms of
1: uh, and in terms of property, uh, you know, maybe they just need someone like you, or uh, you know, somebody somebody that knows what they're doing, to
0: to bargain for a lower rate. I mean. I do, neg- you know, I negotiation is and I, yeah, what I, I do for a living. And I'm throwing it out there not to say that you should do there it. There are others, There, yeah. There are people that, That's can, what I'm, that yeah. hopefully when can are That I
1: that. There are, I, we are a land of possibilities, and just, you know,
0: I just feel like uh, there are, if you got the right people together you could solve a lot of problems. There you go. Matt, King of Mountain Biking says this. What if we use Judas concept but went with Japanese style food vending machines to reduce costs and get them into neighborhoods? That's not bad right there. It would it would obviously That's my be problem for- with the co-op model. And Matt's bringing up the point. The co-op model with these satellite groceries everywhere, that's massive overhead. That's serious staffing Because you're going to be staffing locations everywhere as opposed to just staffing a team under one roof. It's much easier to manage people in Harris Teeter Barracks Road, one location, than if Harris Teeter had 13 small grocery stores all over Charlottesville with people in each of these small groceries. That's 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 a human resources nightmare. That's fair. And the overhead is going to be way greater than just having one location. One location... When you start getting a location that size, the price that you're paying per rent per square is drastically lower. I'm talking price per square than what someone would be paying for like a 1200 square foot in Barracks Road. The person that's paying a 1200 that's renting a 1200 square foot store in Barracks Road is paying more per square foot than Harris Teeter because right. if Harris Teeter was paying the same square foot that the 1200 square foot storefront, yeah. it would be Yeah, nobody would rent it. It would be no one would rent it. It would be unsustain. It would not be sustainable. He says the vending machine concept and shares a link in the comment section of my personal Facebook page. The King of Mountain Biking does check that out. I like your.
1: It's an interesting idea, but I but I feel like it runs into the same problem that uh, uh, you know, like shopping at a gas station does. Like, obviously, you're not, how are you going to have, like, fresh produce?
0: Well, I, I, I think that's what he's sharing with the <coughs> link. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Matt, does the Japanese vending machine allow fresh produce? I don't know anything about the Japanese vending machines. I, I'm, I'm excited to learn about them. But can you have fresh produce in the Japanese vending machines? I mean, if you can sell cars in vending machines, I would, I, I would, like Carvana has done. Granted, Carvana, is, is Carvana bankrupt right now? damn near close to it. If you could do cars and vetting machines, I would imagine you could sell heads of lettuce.
1: Um, hmm. He says they do carry fresh produce. He says they That's carry... That's cool. Yeah, I mean, they carry fresh obviously produce. Obviously,
0: you're going to have a limited uh, a limited selection of items. What do you think he means uh, by the question is neighborhood incursions? The question is, what does
1: that mean? I think he means that somebody's going to have to go in and stock those on a regular basis and uh, uh, that could could... I don't know, maybe it's not an easy thing to do. I'm not sure.
0: Or it intrudes neighborhood quality of life?
1: Yeah, it could also be like, where do you put that in the neighborhood?
0: Um, Vanessa Parkhill says, is it one of the upsides of the co-op is they're not looking to make profit like most grocery stores? True. From my experience, the for-profit model ends up running more efficiently than the nonprofit model. And unfortunately, that might be a topic for tomorrow where we're going to save this. Um, And Judah came up with this idea. People versus profits. Is money all that matters today? We'll talk about that on tomorrow's show so we can take a deep dive. I do want to get John Blair's news out, which he shared with me. There's a biotechnology incubator coming to Roanoke in 2024. It will create 250 jobs. John Blair... Says this, I don't know if you saw this, but this is the sort of head-scratching things done by the Commonwealth of Virginia. Roanoke and Virginia Tech just announced the receipt of a $15 million in state funds for a biotech incubator in Roanoke. I'm curious how this differs from the UVA Biotech Institute and its plans for spit-off biotech businesses. By the way, great show yesterday. It's a great question. Yeah. Is too many biotech centers... A problem. Too many biotechnologists in the kitchen? Is too many biotechnologists in the kitchen a problem? Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, All right, that's the show. we got a 145 um, with a client, Judah Wickower, Jerry Miller. The I Love Seville show today presented by the Clifton. Guys, if you want a memorable dinner, happy hour, events, um, and just a little zest in your life, the Clifton in Keswick is amazing. For Judah, Jerry Miller, so long. (laughs) Mm. <laughs>